0: So welcome back to the Expert Edge. Uh, today, I've got a real treat for you, a phenomenal interview with a true market leader who has been leading this industry for decades in her specific niche. But before we get into that interview, I just want to make sure that you have got the right tools in your business in place. I know for me, when I first started, uh, I used various different online technologies and Email databases and website builders and all sorts of stuff and I've used a lot. Let's just say that over the last fourteen years of building my business, I've used a lot of different tools and technologies. And after using, you know, pretty much all of them, uh, or being exposed to all of them, are uh, still my favorite and the one that we use for all of our courses, our landing pages, our a lot of our emails, um, our our checkouts. My favorite is still Kajabi. And if you are looking for a all-in-one solution, which is what I think you should start with, especially if you're under $500,000 in your expert business, to be quite frank, Kajabi is probably the main and almost only tool that you really need to run your business. And uh, for me, Kajabi does like almost everything you need to do in your expert business. Now, sure, there are some little plugins and things like that you may need to uh, add on if you want to do some really, really customized stuff. But for me, like the foundations is what you need. And whether it's email sending, landing pages, uh, checkouts, uh, just a beautiful customer experience, Kajabi does it all. So if you are looking to transition from a whole bunch of random things duct tape, tape together, or you're like thinking, man, I really want to find a platform that I love and my users love, uh, Kajabi. So if you want to test it out, just go to colinboyd.co forward slash Kajabi. Uh, the link will be in the show notes and you'll get access to a 14 day free trial where you can test it out. And uh, like I said, just test it out, do the free trial, see if you like it. I highly recommend it. We use it out in our business. It's just a beautiful, easy-to-use platform to use, and it's got a really high level of sophistication that delivers to customers very, very well. So that's what I would recommend. Now on to today's podcast, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Mary Morrissey. Now, Mary Morrissey runs an extremely impactful and uh, incredibly profitable uh, coaching business, and when you get to meet her, she is uh, she's a true market leader when it comes to what she calls brave thinking. And brave thinking is essentially moving out of circumstantial thinking, all the reasons, the stories, the things that you're telling yourself that are keeping you stuck, stuck, and moving into brave thinking. And in fact, she shares a few stories that just gave me goosebumps. Uh, in terms of the the power and the impactfulness of it. Uh, like I said, she's a true market leader. She's someone who, like I, when I interviewed her, I was like, dang, like you, this is, she knows what she's talking about. She's the real deal. And she's in 153 countries around the world. Uh, she has over a hundred employees in her business. Uh, like she's, incredible and just a great heart of gold to serve people so let's get into today's podcast with mary morrissey you are listening to the expert edge podcast this is the place where experts come to command the stage position themselves as authorities and scale their business up get ready to access your next level of potential with your host colin boyd Mary Morrissey, welcome to The Expert Edge.
1: Thank you, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Hey, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I know we've only just you know, met and had a short conversation, but from my research of you and uh, from our short conversation, I just know that there's gonna be so much gold in this conversation that is gonna be offered to the world and to our audience because you are you're a powerful woman like there there's something within you that you made a decision probably long ago to really live out of of the potential of who you could be and not settle for anything less and I can just sense it on you and so I just I just know that the listeners are going to draw out something special from this conversation but in way of you introducing yourself could you just share like how you normally would frame or or, you know just introduce yourself so that people have a really clear understanding around what you do and how you help people
1: Uh, well first of all thank you for that opportunity i want to say hi to all the listeners and viewers here (laughs) welcome uh so and I, i just want to start by saying i really admire the work of colin boyd uh what he's doing to help all of us who are entrepreneurs who are building businesses who have something to bring to this world that can make a difference uh, and the support of that, so that we can grow a healthy, dynamic business that makes a lot of impact. Thank you, Colin, for that. <laughs> so, how introduce me? I'm uh, I've been studying transformation um, since 1971. So I have over 50 years of studying in all the ways that I could find transformation. It's the kind of thing that led me to working for a seven-year project with His Holiness the Dalai Lama in transforming. How do we transform world issues? Or working with Nelson Mandela over speaking at the UN with the Gandhi's kids and Martin Luther King's grandkids, or the other way around, Martin Luther King's kids and Gandhi's grandkids. But it led me to places because I was studying deep transformation from a psychological, uh, philosophical, and scientific point of view. So I'm known in the world, in the most simple way, as the premier transformational person who brings dreams to life. We all have dreams, but we don't, and we might have a really pristi- pretty crystal clear vision of what it is we want to bring about, but we may not understand both the art and the science of taking that vision and actually turning it into results. So we stay stuck, we stay in struggle, we stay in want, uh, but not having the results. So that's what I'm known in the world for, and it's something I've had the privilege of working with tens of thousands of people over the years, uh, and I'm ha- very, very grateful to do so.
0: Mm. You told me this powerful story when we were initially having a first conversation about one of your first mentors of when you first started your business and all the different reasons for why you weren't successful. Could you share that with the listeners and kind of who was involved? Because I think it will really set up some context for this transformation that will occur in this conversation.
1: Sure. Um I always knew I wanted to be a teacher and I started out as a, you know, getting my undergraduate degree and it's a longer story, but, um, and well, I was in a classical classroom not long when I realized, because by then I'd been studying transformation that I did not want to teach basic curriculum. I wanted to teach the kids how to think. It would bring them more possibilities. Uh, and that was not the place to do it. So I went to seminary. So, because in those days, if somebody said, are you a coach in 19, in the 1970s, People would say, what sport? We didn't have a coaching industry then. So I saw that as a method for teaching. I had my master's degree in counseling psychology, so I'm raising kids with my then husband. And we're, you know, I'm I'm doing therapy all week long to earn my part of the income for our family because what I really want to do is teach transformation. And I opened a little work at an odd fellows hall in Beaverton, Oregon in 1981, September And that first week there were 22 people who came and then the next week there were eight because all the people who came to cheer me on but didn't really want to be involved, no longer came back. And I grew that work. I was paying $25 a week, but I didn't have to pay the $25 a week if I would scrub the toilets and clean the kitchen from the meetings the odd fellows had the night before. There's a certain something in that when you mention there's a willingness to do what you have to do to help move things forward. So that, and I was, so I did that. And it grew, and it grew very, very slowly. And after four to five years, it had grown to 40 people each Sunday. And my story about why it wasn't more successful, I could see around me. One was, this was a very old place, uh, only metal chairs. We set up metal chairs every Sunday morning. and the linoleum, remember when there was linoleum? There was linoleum on the edges that was all curling up and dirty. Uh, and I didn't have money for advertising. So I would put up flyers or give out cards. But I, and so I don't have money for advertising. I'm in a place where people have to sit on metal chairs. Who wants to do that? And the linoleum is so unsightly. And so I'm thinking these thoughts. And I'm stuck. Meanwhile, there was a man in Detroit, Michigan. And I, in those days, I would subscribe to his uh, cassettes who had the kind of work in the world that was my vision. He was on TV. He was on radio. He was having hundreds of people come to the Sunday events that he was doing and had a beautiful facility in which to produce it. Uh, And he was doing a weekend event uh, training on church growth leadership. And so I seemed like it took all the money I had to get there. I went to do, uh, Chicago to attend. Uh, he, I, he, I heard him lecture and I just knew he knew what I knew, but he knew it differently. Hmm. So I stood in line, begged him to have breakfast with me. And he says, well, I can't, I'm, I'm doing a training this weekend, but I think he saw something in me and felt something. And he said, okay, well, I will have breakfast with you I can't have breakfast, but I'll have coffee with you. I'll give you 30 minutes if you meet me in the cafe at 7 a.m. I was there waiting for him. And he came in and sat down, Colin, and he says, first first thing out of his mouth, how can I help you? And I said, I want to do what you're doing. And he looked at me and he said, okay, I can help you with that, but it's going to cost you. And I just, my body pulled backwards. And I said, how much? (laughs) And he said, oh, and when I said how much, he goes, oh, that's your problem. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you actually think that what you want has something to do with how much it costs. I mean, he might as well have been speaking Martian to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I said, yes, in fact, everybody I know thinks that way. That in order for me to have something, I have to know how much it costs so I know if I can do it. And he said, I'm telling you, that's your problem. He said, I can help you, but not your way. I can show you how it works. And you can actually break through all the things that seem to be in your way. And then he told me what it was going to cost and what the down payment would be. And before that conversation was over, I made a decision to take the rainy day fund that we had and turn it into an investment in this training. I had to be in Detroit the next weekend, which I went to, and he said, I'm going to train three people. I've been looking for the right woman that I think has what it's going to take to do this thing. Uh, So I can invest in three people in their careers this year. And of course, it turned into more than one year. So I went to Detroit, got sent to the um, conference room. There was two other men that I would be training with, Les, Wayne, Mary, and um, Jack Boland came in and sat down and introduced us, Les Brown, Wayne Dyer, Mary Morrissey. Now, none of us had careers or names or all the things that would come later, this is where we were starting. And some of you who are listening today or reviewing might be at a place where you feel like you're just beginning and the circumstances can feel overwhelmingly challenging to you, not having the money or the place or the marketing or, the, or, or, or. So he began to work with us in changing, not the marketing, not the place, not the metal chairs, not any of that. In fact, when I told him, he asked each of us what our stories were about why we were achieving what we were achieving and not achieving what we wanted. And of course, every single one of us believed in the power of circumstances. It's because I don't have the money or the linoleum or this or that. And he looked at me and he said, Mary, that's not the reason it's not growing. It's your belief about the money. It's your belief about the chairs. It's your belief about the linoleum. There are things you can do to change what's going on in the events you are doing that will attract people beyond the linoleum, the chairs, and the money for advertising. The, the word-of-mouth is your very best advertiser." And so we began to work with that. And within about eight or nine months, that work had doubled and it doubled. I, I worked with him for five years. I would have worked with him longer, but he died. Hmm. But that, that training in how transformation really works got embedded in me. He's, I show, I, he said, I can't make it work your way. I can't even make it work my way. But these are, there are invisible laws that we all know govern our results. Gravity's an invisible law, and yet we operate by it. You know, electricity, we depend on it. If, but we know the house has to be wired to code in order for us to have the benefit of this uh, invisible law. And the same thing with your dreams or your vision or the things you're doing. We have to wire it in sense in a sense <coughs> to a code. One of the easiest ones to see that in is, you know, in America, um, there were two revolutions in the uh, 1770s, a revolution for a free country or different design on a country uh, and became free of British rule. That was in the 1776s and up through there. Fifty years later, not even quite. 1820, 1830, there's... The beginnings of what became known as a second revolution, and it was happening in the North Week, Northeast. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, William James, Carlyle, a number of people who were beginning to explore a kind of thinking that was not condition based. It became known as the Transcendental Movement. So Transcendental really stood for that. There's a power in every one of us that's greater than any circumstance, situation, or condition. And we have access to it, but we don't have training in how to access and mindset the way we think creates a vibration or frequency. And only that which is a match to that can become our own. So when you have a vision, that vision, so right now think about your vision for your business, and it's a year from now, and it all worked out. What's happening? So the more specific you are, the stronger the frequency on that line can be. But frequency isn't enough. That ju- The vision sets the frequency. But, but staying on that frequency through daily action and all the kinds of very simple on one hand, but highly effective on the other are some skill sets for that. So my business doubled and doubled and doubled until it was thousands and thousands of people during which time uh, I, um, my kids' dad and I, we were very young when we got married, middle life. We freed each other. A Couple years later, met and fell in love with a CPA who had been hired as a consultant for the work I was doing. We married. I knew he had some depression when I married him. I had no idea the depth of the psycho- psychological problems. Eventually, I found out that he had embezzled just over a million dollars out of my work, and the whole thing would collapse. And there was $10 million owing. And I had to make a decision about bankrupting that or saying, I'm going to find a way to pay it back. And I made that decision, that these invisible laws work. There's no limit except in my own thinking. So what if this isn't all bad? What if there's something in this that's a seed of good? You know, Napoleon Hill said that. In every heartache, in every tragedy, in everything, there's a seed of an equal or greater good but like any seed, it's got to be found, planted, nurtured, grown, harvested. So I had lost my work. I was It was a very dark night of the soul. This is in 2003. Hmm. And then my friends, so I was in the nonprofit world up until then, then Wayne Dyer and Les and all my friends in the uh, on and on in the transformational world. saying you got to get in the, pro- you want to pay $10 million back? You better get in the profit-making <laughs> world.
0: Yeah. Profit-making world, yeah. <laughs>
1: So they're bringing me to their stages, and I'm beginning a work. Just you know, beginning. So it took some time, but by by the by the power of having that kind of debt to pay off, it caused me to think bigger, uh, to use these same laws but differently uh, in in service of a much greater vision. So I kept imagining writing that last check. I would see myself several times a day just writing that last check. Uh, getting a cashier's check, sending it, and getting the notice of zero balance. So that occurred, uh, I think, in two thousand. I started this in two thousand three. Built business, built business. I think it was two thousand thirteen when I finally got that zero balance.
0: <laughs> wow, that is a that's big Yeah. So um, so I'm not
1: impressed. I mean, wh- I'm not impressed by when my clients come and tell me about their big problems. I'm impressed by the power of their thinking and how we can change that because that'll transform everything they're faced with.
0: Yeah. When you told that story with um, Wayne Dyer and Les and it just like gave me chills, like thinking about, you know, like that circumstance. I know for me, if I look back on my life, there's been definitely moments of like synchronicity of where I've sat in rooms with people who were just starting out and are now huge influences in our world. And I'm so grateful for these little synchronicities, but also I guess the courage to keep going and to keep going after that. um You talk about the idea of of dream building, and i want to go go a little bit deeper into this idea of uh vision and having clarity and specificity of vision because I watched your TED talk on your website, which I'd recommend everyone to go and go and check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes um but you talk about. Really being specific about the vision of what you want. And when you were when you when I was watching your TED talk, Mary, I, I was for the first time I've never vision, visioned this before. I had this vision of walking my daughter down the aisle when she gets oh, I like feel emotional, even just talking about. Oh, and my son getting married, like like looking at his face down the end of the aisle. Like I, I I've literally never thought about that. And as soon as I did. It was just like this visceral experience came over me. Um, so talk to us about like the power of of vision, because I feel like I get it, but I don't fully get it. And when you described it, something happened in me. So can you share, share your philosophy on that and how that works and so forth?
1: Yes. Um, there is an art and a science to transformation. The art is in the visioning. So we start there. So this is where... We learned that the mind thinks in pictures. So if I say to you, uh, the front door to the place you live, uh, the sink in your kitchen, the bed you sleep in most often, you didn't see S-I-N-K or D-O-O-R, you saw pictures of your sink, your door, and your bed. So knowing that the mind thinks in pictures, you want to design a picture that is at some point in the future so let's say it's a 12 months or 36 months, uh, a vision. The challenge with the 12 month vision is that our, our memory has this big memory bank of everything we've ever achieved in 12 months and wants to put a lid on it. But when <laughs> you do three years, you're, you're that thinking, it doesn't have so much control over you. So, and you, it doesn't have to take three years. I found in many, many of our clients and myself included, transform way faster than the three-year vision, but three-year vision gives you some latitude to dream bigger. So it's really, uh, most people begin a vision, well, let's see, given the market, given the economy right now, and given this, then maybe we could re- grow our business 20% this year, or maybe we could. So that's called condition-based thinking. My condition-based thinking was linoleum, chairs, and no money. Mm. Um, There's a difference between condition-based thinking and either my work is called brave thinking, brave thinking or vision-driven thinking. You ask a different question, rather than what's the economy and what's this and what's my background and gosh, I've never grown more than 20% a year and all those conditions, you ask a different question. It's three years from now. What would I love? What would I love? What would I love in my health? Because you're going to have health results. Mm-hmm. What would I love in my relationships? Because no matter what you do, you have relationships. The quality, the depth, the fun, the connection—all of that is malleable. So, given that I, if I could create, which you can, a life I truly love, it would have health, relationship dynamics, meaning, purpose. If you wanted that someone special and never had it, that's a mindset. There's a there's a there's a thinking. It's behind that no matter what we tell ourselves. So we can change that. Vocation. We're all going to do something with our time and talent. Uh, If it's knitting hats for our family members, I mean, that's what we're doing with our time and talent. Without judgment, you look at what you're doing now and how fulfilling it is, how life-making it is. What would I love? I mean, for you, Colin, to do what you loved, it meant moving your family across the world to come here and the support of that to lean into what would I love with all kinds of uncertainties. But the uncertainties don't define what you would love. This is the moment in the dream-building phase to dream from the frequency of the question, what would I love? So it's health, relationships, vocation, and then freedom, time and money, freedom. So it's three years from now, my income is at such a state that I can afford to do what I want to do, go where I want to go, have what I want to have, and maybe even more importantly, give what I truly want to give to this world and to causes that matter to me. Uh, And that I have the time freedom to do it in. So I have the financial and the time freedom to live a life I love living while I'm living it, while I'm living it. And that every one of us can have that, but the vision has to include those four quadrants because you're going to have results anyway so the vision is, I, you know, I'm living in a new house and I, it's, it's much, much bigger than the house I have. Uh, that's not a vision. That's just an idea. So the vision is, we love living by a lake or we love living in a high rise. And it's, it's, it's got three corners of, you know, 270 degree views or you're, you're defining so that you can literally, imaginally walk inside that vision and experience yourself being in that life that creates a different connection. We're dealing with infinite energy. I mean, it's everywhere present, it's a sea of energy. The forms of life that you and I enjoy are outward versions of what we're matched with inwardly. What, well, I was believing linoleum and chairs, so my belief was winning with that. The moment we began to change Mary's mindset, all kinds of everything in my physical world shifted also. And I've just seen that I've been doing this work. I met Jack Boland in 1987. I'd been studying this, got my degrees doing all kinds of things, but I didn't know how to do transformation really. I Mm -hmm. knew about it, but, and he would say, sometimes I would say to Jack, oh yeah, I know that. And he says, no, you don't. He says, the only time you know it is when your life is an exact match or reflection of that. Oh, yeah. Up until then, yeah. you know about it. You don't know it. And so you know there was certain arrogance that needed to be uh, <laughs> you know, turned over.
0: I love the quote where it says, um, to know and to not do is to not know. And that's kind of what, yeah, what you're saying. I'm curious about when someone is in a... Uh, let's call it like a frequency in their life like a, and and it, maybe it's a it's a low level frequency in their life how would you lift that frequency because i'm i'm a massive believer in in like the energy you carry the frequency you have in your life it really does attract things into your life and it's absolutely evident when um when i meet someone i can just tell instantly at what, how, I can almost tell how much money they earn, what influence they have, like before, before they even share more than a couple of sentences, you can usually tell. In fact, when I meet coaches who I coach, I can very quickly tell, okay, they're going to take off into success very quickly, or there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done, right? I um, you can feel the vibration. Hundred. What is that? Like, talk to me more about that.
1: Well, think about your television. I mean, we, we can use technology. You know, I could call anybody on the, in the world if I had the right frequency for them. Mm. But when I want my husband, I am very specific in, the, in that setup of the frequency that's a match to Joe Dickey. Uh, and I'm not going to get anybody else. I'm going to get him. So that's why you set vision. Vision, a clarity of vision so you're you're invoking the law of specificity with that because when the more vague we are, you know, if you you don't go to the bank and say give me some money, you <laughs> go to the bank and you say if you're a
0: bank robber, you do.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> that's going to be gone in a moment too because that's going be
0: go- to not going to work out.
1: <laughs> so you you, you it, that's very much like vision writing. You write specifically what you want, and you put your name to it. Putting your name to it means that you're going to be the person who's living from that vision versus trying to get to it. It's very different frequency. So if I'm trying mm. to get to my vision, I'm by definition in lack. My energy is in lack. I want that, but it's not me. It's out there somewhere. Uh, when I mentioned this second revolution, one of the things, so Henry David Thoreau goes and he's, he's a friend of Emerson's, 15 years younger he has been hired by Emerson to be the handyman and the uh, tutor for the kids. He's a Harvard graduate as well. Um, family's a pencil maker, and he doesn't really have money, so he takes these odd jobs. And he's invited to some of these conversations that are happening that became known as the Concord Conversations, where the conversation was this: they would talk about what, what first, getting a clear vision. What would it be like if? And one of the early questions came from Bronson Alcott, he had daughters, he didn't have sons in a world in 1840 where girls were chattel. And he knew his daughters had talent and this and that, he said, and it was highly uh, corporal punishment too. Kids were getting slapped with, you know, with rulers and punished. Uh, he said, what would, it, what would an education system be like that had, and then they began to dream a new education system that would also foster the talents and gifts of girls. And they dreamed, and so they're staying in the what-if conversation versus what's-in-the-way conversation. So that's where you start. If circumstance, situations, and conditions did not prevail, that you, out of the infinite energy, design something that you would absolutely love, and you qualify it with that frequency. I would love that. I have no idea how to do that. I would love to see a zero balance on a $10 million debt. And by the way, my... since I've lost this work, my reputation is in the tank. I've lost my work. Yes, I've got friends, but I mean, I've got, this is going to be, I've got to earn a business and then pay taxes. And I don't know, you know, all those thoughts are human. Mm. There's a different kind of thinking where you're coming from a vision, regardless of circumstances, situations, and conditions. Um, And over the years of employing this, I have seen, there's not a situation that I haven't seen transformed. When somebody learns that in turn on your television, if it was on CNN and it comes back on CNN, constantly negative news, then, and you stay tuned to constantly negative news, you're gonna see constantly negative news pictures. So the vision gives you the opportunity to imagine a different picture for your life. You're in the picture, it's not out there, you're in it. So you're the person standing at the sink, maybe doing some dishes and your bank account is this. And your love life is like this and you're you're just, in, you know, you're in the midst of that life and your work is having impact and your time and your uh, money freedom has is has given you the permission and the opportunity this last year to travel here or there or give to this or that. And you're standing there being that person and taking on that vibration. Then you ask yourself a question, what step can I take now that moves me in that direction? And sometimes those are really little baby steps. I'm a big believer in baby steps. Mm. Do the thing you can do, it'll take you all the way up Mount Everest if you just keep taking them. And then sometimes different things occur that pull you halfway up the mountain in one move.
0: Mm. What are some non negotiables or practices that you have, Mary, that have over the years helped you to stay? in a good mental, energetic, you know, spiritual space for you to keep moving towards that vision despite challenges that you've faced?
1: Well, part of it, Colin, is an understanding of, that, you know, took time to gather of how it works. Mm-hmm. It, this is a, we're dealing with perfect in, invisible laws that you can't think this thought and then have a different result It's on a different frequency. Hmm. So, you know, we can't think blame, and it shouldn't have happened. That all may be true, but it doesn't take us forward. Hmm. So the thoughts, the major dominant thoughts we're thinking have a vibration to them, and they're going to win because the only thing that can be attracted to them is like. So I, it does me no good to say, I'm going to be a world-class teacher, in, uh, information expert. I'm going to have a business that does this and this, unless I'm willing to be a match for it today in the thing I can do today, even if it looks like a baby step. So I have five core values that not only I operate by, but the 140 people who work for me, when they come to work, um, our, our system, you are welcome to work here or not work here, but here's how it works when you're here. Uh, <laughs> you got 90 days to memorize these. Lots of companies spend time doing vision and core values, and they end up on the wall, or they end up in drawers and get dusty. This, these are living. We live this every single day. It's how we do customer service. It's how we do our accounting. It's how it's all this. Um, So five core values, people memorize them. Because it's not just the five core values, it's then how we make them real. Well, the first one is we believe in people. We know that every single one of us is far greater and contains more potential than any circumstance, situation, or condition. So the verb there is no. So you're listening to somebody tell you why they can't enroll with you and what's in the way. Like I'm telling Jack, oh, there's no way I can do that. He's not letting that circumstance. He's believing more in the power in me than my circumstance. And my circumstance was real. He says, all right, well, put a deposit down. I don't have a deposit. Do you have a rainy day fund? Because he knows this is really going to help me. It's, he's not just trying to make a sale. I said, I want to do what you're doing. He said, I can help you with that. But not with the thinking I've got, because the thinking I've got is going to produce the same results. So we believe in people. We know. So there's an activator. When you've got a core value, you've got to have a way to activate it or it just stays an idea. Number two, we believe in love and care. So we bring sincere love and care to every interaction, even when you're having the tough 20, you know, 10 minute sweaty conversation with either somebody that works with you or a client who isn't making the step they could make, you do it with love and care. So we bring sincere love and care to every interaction. We delight and surprise each other and our clients by anticipating wants and seeking to exceed expectations. We believe in integrity. So we live what we teach and we deliver what we promise. And of course, that value was challenged in 2020. We had, we delivered all our programs in hotels, live trainings. We had hundreds and hundreds of trainings booked in hotels, and that was no longer available. So we invested a million, almost $2 million in a home, st- took a whole wing of Joe's in my house and developed a world-class studio. And that actually opened up another world, and we could see people from all over the world come to front row seat of our trainings. And we delivered those trainings, knowing we promised everyone, we had promised you a Ritz-Carlton experience. We're not gonna be in a Ritz-Carlton. We're gonna be in our homes doing this. So we're gonna deliver this training. And as soon as hotels open up, we're still gonna deliver you the Ritz-Carlton training. And we delivered for two years on that. Live what we teach and deliver what we promise. And it, it you know, you can't outgive the infinite. It's got a bigger shovel. So you, Giving is never a loss. It's always a gain. So we did. that's number four. We believe in fun. Uh, you know, fun is not a human idea. It's a spiritual idea. And we're more alive. We're more up level. So you don't have to wait for fun to happen to you. So we create joy, laughter, and fun in all of our work. And the last one is we believe in growth. And we grow by achieving our goals and exceeding our best. So as a... I was doing that when I was a one-person shop after I lost everything. Then I hired somebody for four hours a week who had worked with me in my other business. And one by one, uh, in a relatively short amount of years, because there was a purity of intention, mm-hmm. there was, I knew this made a difference in people's lives, and I cared deeply about people and their results, and people can feel that. So that's what permeates the work that I represent and we do is we're results-based. We're results uh, we really want people to have the results they want as long as they're willing to do their part.
0: How much, Mary, has, you've mentioned mentors quite a few times and because I know in this industry, you know, including myself, if I look back over the different programs I've been involved in that I've invested in, I mean, I wouldn't be in America running our business at the level we are without that. Um, I'm curious as to your thinking around just just growing as a person and mm-hmm. c- that continual growth and how you've done that as a business owner, whether it be investing in yourself at different levels, and obviously that changes and evolves and looks very different at each level. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk to me about like your just your take on investing in you
1: oh uh, critical it's critical because you cannot go beyond your own thinking without something helping you expand um jack bullen prime example you know i'm running a little tiny thing that's i'm paying to do um and when he told me how much it was it was more than i made in a year at that point doing therapy at thirty dollars <laughs> an hour yeah So it just like, well, there's no way I can do that. And he said, yes, Yes, there is. It's just that you don't understand it. He says, you look to circumstances for permission. Would you love this? Would you love me to help you? Well, yes, it would. Then decide. I'll show you how this works. So... I'm sorry, Colin. You, you asked a question that I was starting. I want to answer. <laughs> Is your,
0: your philosophy, mentors, your take mentors, on mentors. mentors, investing in yourself, all that stuff.
1: Yes. So I've got three criteria to help people decide whether this person should be your mentor or not. Yeah. Number one, uh, do they have, do they know how results occur? Are they, do they believe It's really a superstitious view that I've got to go to conditions to get my, you know, you got to raise this money and then we can do this thing. Yes, you you can, you can do that, but it's going to take a really long time. An example of that is, and so three things to choose a mentor with. So Jack Bulland, as he's starting to sell me on the possibility of me actually being able to get his mentoring with these, whoever these other two people were for a year at a price. And all I had to do was put the down payment, which was everything I had in savings at that point, $2,500. And I'm like this. And then I look at him, and in my mind, Colin, he turns into like a used car salesman. He's got the tie. He's got, oh, my God, he's just trying to sell me. But I couldn't deny that I felt his caring. And he was trying to sell me, but not on him, on me. And, um, you know, and how important that was. So fast forward, I told you I worked with him five years. The power of a mentor in a moment. Um, By then, the church is now 3,000 people. I mean, there's all this. We want to have our own facility. We've been meeting in a movie theater that has 1,000 seats. And um, we meet, so we do three services a Sunday, and people are coming far and wide. And it's a beautiful work. And It's in a movie theater, which makes it sticky floors and the smell of popcorn and, you know, and the group wants their own facility. So we dream up a vision. I'm crystal clear on the vision. We gave it to scrolls and I hold this vision, but it was a $10 million dream. We had uh, $56,000 in a building fund. I have very smart people on my board and they design a 10-year plan. So we'll raise the money, buy a piece of land. We'll pay that off over three years. Then we'll build the first building. Then we'll get the equity on that. And we'll build in, in 10 years from now. And they were absolute, it was beautiful. So Jack Boland comes. He's, I didn't know how sick he was. He, he had promised to come and do an event. He comes to Oregon, Portland, Oregon. We're meeting at breakfast. And I knew he was sick, but I didn't know how sick he was. I mean, he would only live six more weeks. I said, Jack, you didn't need to come out here. And he says, I wanted to, I wanted to be here. Um, So finally, he says, I don't want to talk about me anymore. Let's talk about you. What's next? I said, oh, Jack, we have this vision. It's a, and I said, so imagine walking into this campus. It's at least 50 acres. And the the facility is 100,000 square feet. And you walk in and they go down this ramp. And then there's this beautiful sanctuary. Seats a thousand people with natural light streaming in. And there's a kid's village where kids discover by they, they're pulling their parents to church because they, they, you know, I've got this vision. It's and a kitchen that seat, it will feed 400 people at a time. So those who want to stay and we got a retreat center out back. And, and, uh, and I said, and my board and I have come up with this plan and here's what we're doing. And 10 years from now, Jack, that's exactly what we're going to have. And he looked at me and he said, why would you squeeze the infinite into a 10-year plan? I said, well, I've got $56,000 in a savings fund. in our March
0: Let's look at the circumstances.
1: <laughs> and a $10 million dream. And he looked at me and he said, so would you love to have it this year? I said, well, yes, Jack, but he says, would you love to have it this year? And I said, yes. And he said, could you believe that you could actually have it this year? And I said, I don't believe it, but I can tell you do. And he looked at me, Colin, as, and just deep into my soul, and he said, then believe in my belief. And I walked out, we were doing a big 3000 person event that night where he was speaking. I walked out to my car and I knew in that moment, I had no idea. I wasn't like believing this was going to happen, but I knew I was a changed woman because he had opened my mind. There is a possibility. I don't know it, but why would I say there's no possibility, even though there's 56,000 and a $10 million dream? What? I'm not that smart. The infinite is that smart. What if? I just keep my mind open to the possibility. So we know now in quantum physics, David, uh, particularly Max Talbot's work in uh, Holographic Universe, I mean, you just hold a possibility having zero idea how it could occur, but you keep resonating on that. Things occur you can't make happen. You make welcome by the vibration you're on. So we didn't move into that facility 10 years later. Six weeks later, Jack died. Uh, He died on March 4th of that year, 1992, and he had asked that Wayne and Les and I do the memorial service, which we did, and um, a series of things occurred that you would completely unpredicted that would occur, and we did not hold our first gathering uh, 10 years later in a 100,000 square foot facility with the retreat center out back and all of this. We did not hold that 10 years later. We held it 10 months later. <laughs> you can't make it happen. You make it welcome. <laughs> so I, crazy. Yeah. So that's why the vision that you, you're absolutely in love with has more power than, oh, I hope we can increase 10% this year or 20% this year. It doesn't have a lot of, yes, and you can do that. And that's a different way to grow a business. But you're offering people in the trainings that you're doing and the podcast possibilities that are, you know, most of us are teaching people in personal development how to have and be and do more of what they would love to have and do and be. And um, so the belief that our limits are not the limits we've thought there's not the limit out there. The only limit is the one in us. Mm.
0: It's so fascinating when I when I look back. I remember I had one early mentor of mine, and he said this one idea, which was that people at a high level stay in the what a lot longer than than people at a lower level. They drop into the how very quickly. They ju- they jump straight. Oh yeah, but how do I do that? Exactly. And, and I love like that first of all, that story is just so powerful um, for me, it just and I hope all the listeners I'm, I'm sure they're getting this is just that sense of holding that possibility once again of That's the
1: vision yeah hold the hold the vision, not the circumstance
0: Yeah, and I, we so we so jump they, into we, our circumstances so quickly
1: we can the the three things number one, you want to pick a mentor who has they know how things Occur. Yeah, they're not circumstances. Don't have to dictate our results. They they understand. They have an understanding of this. Number two, they have a long track record. There's a lot of people who have, particularly in the personal development world, where you'll (laughs) see them pop up. They write a book, (laughs) and they're a big shining star for a year, two, three, and then where do they go? So the sustainability. They have a long track record of success in whatever it is you're interested in learning more about. Uh, and number three, and this is key for me, uh, is that you feel you have an authentic feeling of genuineness with them and that they actually do care about your results. They're not just you're just not another di- uh, domino in their conveyor belt of clients who come through. You, They care about you. If you want a mentor, it's got to be all those three things.
0: That's so good. Uh... Mary, this has been such a great conversation. I know that you wanted to share something with our audience because I'm sure people are going to be really fascinated about this idea of brave thinking as opposed to circumstantial thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I want to you know, research and understand it and apply it more in my life. Um, but I know you mentioned uh, bravethinkingbook.com, which is your book where you go deep into brave thinking and you've, and you've got some extra bonuses there for people. Do you want to kind of just talk about that and your book and, uh, where people can grab that?
1: Yeah, it, there's a difference, as we mentioned, between knowing about and knowing. And so this, my, the brave thinking book just got published last May. And, um, it is my, my flagship work and everything I've studied for 40 years. And it's a book that you can apply along the way. Uh, And you will, you do it, you're going to see some results. You can't keep yourself because it changes you. Uh, And what you believe is possible for you. So BreakThinkingBook.com. And then we have some gifts for you because you're here. So one is the Designing a Life You Love Guided Meditation. And that will help you. There's a whole bundle of different ones that will help you create a crystal clear vision. Number two gift, uh, it's 100 common hour thinking. Oh, it's, I've listed 100 common hour thoughts, so that's how you know you're not mm-hmm. in brain thinking because you're thinking this thought, like, oh, it's a linoleum. But there's 100 basic ones that are just how we're all trained to think. So like the awareness you, of them. That's right. So, and mm-hmm. then how to transform them, the common hour thinking, and then how to transform them. And then number three, and I'm really proud of this one, is the winning the battles of the mind affirmation collection. And you apply that, it puts you on a different frequency right away. Pick can choose the ones you resonate with. But all three of those go with the Brave Thinking book and uh, go to bravethinkingbook.com, order a copy, and all the rest of that is given to you.
0: Oh, so good, Mary. Uh, I know that your work in the world is just making such an impact. Uh, and if you, we could, as we wrap up today's conversation, um, imagine it is the end of your life, if we could, for a minute. And imagine
1: it's not not a maybe. It's absolute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And imagine your friends, your family, your clients, your loved ones are all standing around having conversations about Mary and about your life and so forth. What what would be your what's your hope that they would be whispering to each other about you and your life?
1: Oh, that she dedicated herself to understanding how to help people have real results, results they're in love with. She dedicated her life to that. Uh, We are all beneficiaries of it. Our whole family are beneficiaries of that. She deeply cared about people and their results. And she loved life, but it was fun to be around her.
0: (laughs) I love that, Mary. Thanks so much for coming on the Expert Edge. And uh, I'm sure the listeners are going to just take so much from this. So thank you so much. Thank you. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. Go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.